0: I'm Kenny, by the way, I'm one of our elders at Grace, from over at Grace Fullerton. I love it whenever I get to come back over here and be with all of you. Uh, We need this gathering, don't we? I don't know what your week has been like, but whatever your week has been like, uh, we've been praying, our elders have been praying that through God's word this morning, your hearts would be encouraged. Which leads me to the second thing. I want to make a quick point about sermon application and the song we just sang. Can you put that chorus slide up, lead us beyond formal duty, Philip? Um... When you think about sermon application, but this, this idea here increasingly is the way that my mind wants to think in terms of giving application for sermon as I prepare to preach and our other guys prepare to preach. Not so much that I've got to explain some of the scripture and then give you four ways this week to go and act reverently or eight humble things to do for your spouse or whatever, as much as I see my job is by the Holy Spirit uh, with his help to help from God's word show you his captivating beauty (laughs) and do it in such a way that God would show you until you, in awe and reverence, humbly bow, that he would show you his glory. I love it. And He'd sort of play uncle with you. He would do it until you give, and you feel awe and in reverence, humbly bow, and you yield. That's what we pray um, here, and that that's how God would lead us out of just mere formal duty, and we're just checking a box and doing church and moving on to Grace Group and getting those, okay, great, now I can go back about my week. And, and uh, uh, so I, I hope that... One of the things you're looking to to have happen in the course of listening to a sermon is worship. We didn't just stop worship right now, and now we get information. But the information is to continue worship, to ensure that you don't leave here without worship in the heart. Because worship in the heart will translate into a thousand different applications in the week as you encounter your week, someone who is humble and reverent and in awe. Amen? Amen. Okay, so that's what I'm praying. That's what I've been praying for you. Would you turn to Second Peter, please, with me? And uh, normally I don't make any big deal or even mention usually, we have to give a sermon title to the office so there's something in the bulletin there. And, and oftentimes uh, I, I just do go with something basic here. But uh, this week I actually uh, titled my sermon, I ripped off a title from an Oscar Wilde play. So I don't know if that's considered plagiarism, but I'm citing my source right here, the importance of being earnest. And so, all right, importance of being earnest. True confession, I've never read the play, I've never seen it, I didn't choose the name um, because this sermon and this passage has something to do with with that play. Um, I chose it mainly because in this sermon, uh, in this letter, Peter, in this first chapter, um, wants us to be earnest. There is something here in this opening chapter of 2 Peter that he wants you, Christian, to pursue earnestly. He doesn't want you to pursue this, this occasionally uh, or uh, uh, half-heartedly, absent-mindedly, casually. This isn't something he wants you to fit in on weekends and religious holidays. What Peter is talking about here, he wants you to do earnestly. And he wants this so much that in verse 15, he tells us how earnest he is that he stir up this earnestness in us. So being earnest is very important here to Peter, particularly regarding what he's urging us to. This word that, that means earnest, even though in your English translation there's a couple of different ways that, that, that we say it, um, is here three times in this opening chapter. Look at verse 5, the beginning of the passage Rob preached last Sunday. He, Peter says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith these things. Supplement your faith with these qualities. Well, make every effort literally is bring all earnestness to bear on supplementing your faith with these things. Apply earnestness to this pursuit. Earnest. Then verse 10, which is the first verse in our section today, we're gonna, I'm gonna cover 10 through 15. He says again, be all the more diligent, same word, earnest, zealous, serious about this, devoted to it, eager to do it. Be diligent about what he's gonna say here. And then in verse 15, When Peter says, I will make every effort as long as I'm alive so that after my departure you may recall these things, same word, I will bring all earnestness to bear in reminding you of these things. So earnest is the key word for the morning, all right? Diligent. Now, I... I'm picking up where Rob left off last week with verses 10 and 11 really sort of finishes the the punch of the appeal uh, from last week in verses 5 through 9. And then verses 12 through 15, Peter transitions a little bit and and says sort of, this is why I'm writing with such urgency and and, and moves us toward the the next part of the letter. So I'm going to cover both of those. Um, And in these five verses, I see two earnest pursuits. That's my outline. Two earnest pursuits. The first one is what he urges us to, uh, and the second one is what he models for us. What Peter is earnest about in verses 12 through 15, I, I believe, is what we ought to take up the, the baton from him and be earnest about doing for one another uh, every day, as long as it's still called today um, as the church. So, two earnest pursuits. Um, and I think that we should back up to verse three because it's all a thread, as Rob pointed out, and Randy two weeks ago pointed out, that what we're urged to do today flows out of the appeal that Peter made in verses five through nine, which is all anchored in the reality in verses three and four of Peter, who Peter says we are in Christ and all that we've been given in him. So here's my plan. I want to read three through 11. We'll stop and talk about earnest pursuit number one, and then we'll read the last three verses and... Move to the second. All right, I'd like to give a nice clear outline. Everyone know where we're heading? Good. Okay, let's read. Second uh, Peter 1, 3 through 11. Uh, his, that is God's and our Lord Jesus Christ, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, that is, who saved us so that he might make us uh, glorious like he is glorious. He's called us to grow uh, in likeness to him, as we're going to see in verse 4. He's granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desires. So God, through Christ, has not just gotten your sins forgiven like verse 2 and given you a righteousness of equal standing with the apostles and a faith of equal standing, but he has also saved you for this great upward calling to grow into the likeness of your heavenly Father. Verse 5. For this very reason then, because of all this God's done for you and given to you, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, for if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has, was cleansed from his former sins. All right, new territory here. Verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show us uh, the glory of our Heavenly Father and Jesus, our Savior, this morning, and show us the the glory and the trustworthiness of every promise that you've given, the goodness of every command you've given us uh, to follow, and your Spirit would, would make these things a joy to us, and And our our life. And and we would leave here as people who, again, from another degree of glory to another, are are being transformed uh, more and more into your image, we pray. Amen. All right, so first earnest pursuit. Peter says, verse 10 here, earnestly, diligently, confirm your calling and election. Confirm your calling and election. Let's just unpack that little phrase. First of all, your calling and election. What is is this He's, he's talking about? Peter is talking about your salvation, your standing as a born-again child of God. That you have not merely assented to a notional faith, like Rob said last week, a set of propositional truths that you would agree with, and you would even say you believe like demons, but no, it would be more than that because you have come to see um, that Jesus and God is glorious and and lovely and a treasure. And Peter wants you to confirm that that has happened for you, that you are a born-again child of God, that you have been called and elect by God. I hold the view that God, by his free eternal decision, that is his election, chooses and calls people to be saved. And that... In the deadness of our sin, he reaches out by his grace and he draws us in to his salvation. That's the calling part. I think the way Peter uses calling right here, your calling an election, is not calling like sometimes in the New Testament, just the gospel call. So when Peter would stand up at the day of Pentecost and preach the gospel to a crowd, call them all to repent and believe. And that is rejected by some and received by some. So that's one way of calling. But I don't think Peter means that here because if he said, confirm your calling that you were invited, that makes no sense. You would just say, well, have I heard the gospel explained to me? Has someone told me about Jesus, whether or not I believed it or not, or loved Jesus or not? Yes, I have. But no, he's saying calling is something Bigger than that, deeper than that—that that we he wants us to confirm. I think he means calling the same way that Jesus, when he said in John six, no one can come to the Father unless uh, who's, uh, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Like what happened to this woman Lydia in Acts 16. This, Paul comes into this area and a crowd gathers and she's out by the river and she comes in and she listens and here's Paul calling, he's preaching the gospel, he's in, inviting people to respond to Jesus' message of salvation and here's what it says, and as that was happening the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. So Paul was calling and the Lord reached in and called, opened her heart so that she responded with faith and repentance to the things spoken by call. I think this is the, the kind of calling Peter's talking about here. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, he spoke like this. He says, Christians, you're a chosen race. God has chosen you, you're a royal priesthood, you're a holy nation, a people for his possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Proclaim how excellent it is that God drew you out of darkness into his light, called you out and made you his. Once you hadn't received mercy, he says, now you've received mercy. This is what Peter is saying to us. Be diligent to confirm That you are his. I thought of Philippians 3, uh, you know, Paul in this process of following Christ, he says, I press on to make that my own because Christ has made me his own. And Peter here is saying, confirm that Christ has made you his own, that you are his. And he says, confirm it, make it certain, make make it firm that that is true of you. Because in chapter two, he's gonna talk about false teachers who profess to actually speak for God and their mouths are full of lies and their lives demonstrate it by a lack of any moral or uh, ethical mooring to the commands of God and the righteousness of God. So it's possible to make a confession and your life to to speak contrary. So Peter's saying to these Christians, confirm your calling and election which could sound like again like Rob pointed out does my election and my calling depend somehow on how much effort I put into this if I'm not diligent enough is it possible that one day I'm going to face God and he's going to tally it all up and say no not enough And Rob said, no. He said, that's the ditch of works righteousness Peter doesn't want us to drive off into. Um, He wants us to understand, I thought this was really well put, Rob said that fruitless knowledge should raise a question of whether or not they're saving faith. If my life doesn't bear any resemblance to my father or Jesus, that should not make me think, well, okay, you know, no big deal. I, I, I prayed a prayer. You know, he says, we shouldn't claim to trust Jesus and then live lives that indicate he doesn't matter to us. That doesn't make sense. In other words, like Tom Schreiner would say, salvation is not by works, but salvation is with works. True salvation is with works. Or David Helm, a pastor, I, I, I like to read uh, his sermons. He says, true faith sweats. True saving faith, born-again faith, sweats. It energetically pursues the things of God. You know, I was thinking, of, again, of, of um, life demonstrating or attesting to this I- invisible saving faith, and I thought of the way Paul talked about Christians at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians. Listen to this. At the beginning of his letter to this you know, young church that he writes to, he says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. It's a pretty bold thing to say, confident thing to say. We, we're not there anymore. We're at a distance, but we know, brothers, that God has chosen you. Well, how? Well, he goes on to say, well, first of all, when we were there and you received the gospel invitation from us, even though it was in the midst of affliction and it was in a context within which to receive that message was dangerous, that didn't, That didn't cause you to shrink back, but you received this news of the gospel with the joy of the Holy Spirit, he says, and that attested to us that God has chosen you. But not just that, he says, we've heard report of you, since then, since we've gone, the churches surrounding areas, they talk about you and your church, you Christians, who are bold in witness, setting an example. And he says, um, they tell us how you all turned from idols to serve a living and true God. Well, how would they have known that to tell Paul about that? Well, it was evident, right? that they really weren't serving idols anymore, that they were serving a new God, the one true God, and speaking of him boldly. That's why Paul can say, because of all that, we, we know, we're confident that you are, you are chosen by God. It confirms that. And so it should be for you and me, Peter would say. Be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. We should earnestly seek to imitate our Father. We should be earnestly seeking to kill sin. You shouldn't just want to be forgiven of sin. You should also want to be free of it, like, ah, and hate when you go back to it, even when you continue to, to still say, I hate that. God, save me from that, earnestly. Or like Rob said last week, we should have a desire to get more of Jesus into our souls like a famished person. I love that. Is earnest the word you would use to describe your pursuit of God and the things of God? Earnest? In case you're feeling guilty, you don't want to answer that question, I've been asking that question this week and I have to confess, often not. In fact, one of the the humbling things this week, the Lord has really shown me that I actually pursue many things very earnestly in my life, more earnestly than these things. Can you relate to that? There are things that I think about and occupy my mind more hours of the waking day, strategizing and planning and thinking and angling to get um, and and more of my desire than this right here. And there are things that by contrast are so much uh, less significant. We can be earnest about hobbies, so earnest that we're telling everyone on social media about it and that they need to do it. And we're inviting people and we're planning our calendar around it. And home projects and remodels, we can get earnest about getting it done and getting every last detail just so. And keeping up with politics and current events and reading every blog and knowing every argument and having seen every debate. And we can be so earnest about that in a way that, that actually pale or that, that our Earnest pursuit of God pales, right? We can earnestly pursue entertainment consumption and binge watching and being up on every latest show and series and movie, and we can uh, we can earnestly uh, seek physical fitness and diet and hitting mile markers and 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 how many workouts a week and workouts of the day, and all those things are fine. But I just want to say, do we pursue things like that with more earnestness and more zeal? then we do these things that that relate to eternal life. And Peter is wanting to stir up an earnestness in us appropriate to the thing we're pursuing, which is God. And he does two things in verses 10 and 11 uh, to try to stir earnestness. If, if you're like me, in the Christian life, oftentimes, this is why we need to keep gathering and being together, is that my, my faith or my zeal for the Lord and the things of the Lord, the, sort of the flame can sort of die back down. It's just like a red ember and it's still glowing there. And I need things that sort of like this and, and, and rekindle adoration Um, and and, and earnestness. And this is what Peter's doing right here. He's trying to fan with a couple of things. And here's one thing he he fans with. At the end of verse 10, he says, if you practice these qualities, you will keep the faith. Or he says, you will never fall. Sorry, I want to say that as he says, essentially, this is how you'll keep the faith. Keep the faith, I mean, in the same way that Paul said it near the end of his life when he knew, I don't have any more days left uh, on the earth, and he's writing one last letter to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. In other words, I haven't fallen away from the faith. I didn't abandon it at one point. There wasn't a point where it got too hard and I said, forget it, I'm out of here. I've kept the faith. And I think when Peter says, if you practice these things, you will never fall. Not you will never sin or stumble because that sure isn't true, right? Um, We stumble all the time and, and seek God's forgiveness and we keep walking. But he's saying, if you pursue these things, you will keep the faith. This is the part of the means by which God is going to guard your faith and help your faith persevere until the end. In fact, Peter's very emphatic. He says, if you practice these things, in his words, you will know not ever fall. You will know not ever fall. You will not shrink back. And I think it's a word of assurance, but also it's a word of motivation. What I mean by that is, this is the way this, that sentence is a word of assurance to me. Um, when it's, if Peter says to me, uh, Kenny, If you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. Kenny, if you see these fruit in your life and they're increasing, this is your pursuit, that's a sign that God's seed dwells in you. So rest assured, God has made some awesome promises to those who bear the fruit of his spirit that he will keep you and he will not forsake you. So be assured, right? But I think he means more than this. I think he also means it as motivation. In other words, Kenny, do you wanna never fall? Do you want to be confident that you won't one day just bail on it all? Practice these things. Pursue these things. These are the means by which God is going to keep strengthening your faith. I want us to think about faith and then the fruit of our faith and the way that they actually can have a reciprocal relationship with each other. Starting with faith, that's where it starts, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. It starts in 2 Peter with... um, being given a righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, and then because of that, God granting everything pertaining to life and godliness to us and making us incredible promises. That's where it starts. Through those promises then, trusting those promises, I grow. So faith comes first and then fruit grows out of it. But think, and I want you to ask yourself, Christian, Is this been your experience in your life? That the pursuit of fruit... In this way he's prescribing, not just squeezing out a couple of ounces of fruit, like Rob said, and pasting on a veneer of obedience, but the earnest pursuit to grow in God and the grace and knowledge of God, that in the process of that, it strengthens your faith. Do you, any of you grew up singing the hymn, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus? Good. All right, Ben, you want to sing it for me, Ben? That's good. Just to take him at his word. Help men. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. And then the chorus goes I'm going to stop you halfway through. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him, or and or. Stop there a minute. When I was a kid growing up, that felt arrogant to me to say, wait, how I've proved Jesus over and over? I've proved him. You're smiling. You know what that really means. It's another way of saying, Jesus has shown himself to be faithful to me over and over. And he's done it. Every time I've taken him in his word or I've rested upon his promise that he said to me first, he says, thus saith the Lord. So maybe it's a good command. And he says, he says, single person, I want you to trust me that sex is a wonderful gift to cement marital faithfulness and fidelity and mutual enjoyment and love and to to heighten the expression of something that reflects my love uh, for the church. Trust me in that command. Take me at my word. And when you say, even though you're tempted, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to put myself in the path of temptation. I'm going to pray for help, and I'm going to to obey that, and then then God brings comfort to that you and joy in that decision and a joy like he said bless are the pure in heart for they will see God and and your experience in your relationship with God is is good because your heart is pure and you're not struggling in the guilt of sin and there's this process of we take him in his word we we step out in it. he shows himself faithful and then what happens to my faith when God shows up and proves faithful to his word I that's the last part of the song. Oh, for grace to trust him more. He actually strengthens our faith and trust. So it's this it's a cycle. He speaks, we trust him. Maybe it's a promise. I will not leave you or forsake you. And we're facing a situation in our life that feels like he's forsaking me, but I'm gonna run to you, trust you, pray, Lord, help me. Help me not dip into despair and just sink under it. And the Lord lifts your spirit and he provides for you in a way that reminds you he cares for you. And that happens and faith is strengthened again and and he gives us grace to trust him more. And so I think in part when Peter says here, if you practice these qualities, you will never fall because God's built it into the process. The means by which we grow in him by faith actually loop back around and and kindle this very faith by which we grow. Does that make sense? Have you experienced that in your life? So earnestly pursue holiness, one, because that's how you'll keep the faith. That's part of how God's gonna bring you to the end. And like Paul, say, I've kept the faith. I've finished the the course. I fought the good fight. He just said it in different order. Second thing he says in verse 11 that's similar, but has a little bit different focus is he says, this is also the path to the glorious finish line. Pursuing these qualities, he says, verse 11, in this way, as you pursue these things earnestly, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the path to a rich welcome into Jesus' eternal kingdom. Again, I want to qualify this. That is not saying that pursuing holiness is the price of admission into that kingdom, it's the proof of purchase, it's the proof that you were purchased. The only one person who had deep enough pockets to pay the price of your admission into Christ's eternal kingdom was Christ. First Peter 3, earlier this year, Randy preached on it. Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, you and me, to bring us to God. So that's the price of admission right here, let's be clear. But the proof of our purchase by his blood is the pursuit on this path that we keep running on this path with his help by faith. And Rob said, trusting Jesus to the end is not easy. It's gradual and it's difficult, but it's worth it. And right here in verse 11, Peter is underscoring how worth it it is. He doesn't want us to forget how worth it this path is. He says, you will be richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I couldn't help think of Jesus' words there. you know. As we're in Peter, it keeps making me think, when did Peter hear Jesus saying these things? And one of the places he heard Jesus say these things was Matthew 25. You don't need to turn there. I got it for you right here. Matthew 25, Jesus is preaching to crowds and the disciples are there. But listen to this. He says, Jesus, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne And before him will be gathered all the nations and he'll separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he'll place the sheep on the right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, listen to this, come. I'm not leaving you out over here. I realize that some of you are gonna be over here, but you know, the illustration is right. He says, come. You who are blessed of my Father, enter the kingdom, I- inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And look what he does next. For here's why you're, this rich welcome is being offered to you, sheep. He says, "Oh, I, I should have followed with that. That was totally my bad. I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison." and you came to me. Jesus lists works of righteousness and acts of godly, compassionate love, simple acts of love done in this life that reflected the character of God. Genuine fruit, and we know this is genuine fruit, I think, the way Jesus says this in this picture he paints, because the sheep, next thing they say is, when Lord did we do this? What is that saying? Well, they weren't doing it because Jesus is watching, earning brownie points, tallying it up. They actually say, when, when did we serve you, Jesus? I was just feeding that guy I saw. I was just visiting that widow who was sick. I just felt for that guy in prison and I wanted to go pray with him. Uh, And Jesus says, yeah. And to the extent that you did that, you were serving me. That's evidence that you are my sheep. That attests to who your father is. And he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Nobody has ever prepared anything as awesome for you in your life so far as a kingdom. Imagine that sentence. There is a kingdom that has been prepared for you, Mike. And for you, You sheep in the room. He's prepared a kingdom. That phrase just needs to sink in for us right now. Let's think about this. Have you ever seen the show Extreme uh, Makeover Home Edition? Okay, good. First service, 8 a.m., everyone looked at me blank and I felt like a total, like, I I watch TV reality shows and none of you do. So anyway, this is my people here, right? So I don't know if it's still on. (laughs) Don't be offended by that. You're my people. Um, But when the show at least was on every episode, there was a family that had been nominated by their community who was in great need of one sort or another, and their home was inadequate for, for their life and they would be chosen and they would be taken far away and designers and build teams would come in <clears throat> and they would just radically transform the house, usually add floors to it and, and all sorts of space and, and, and new everything. And then they'd bring the family back and all the community would gather and they'd park a giant bus in front of the house, right? And on the side of the bus, you know, with their, their show logo and they'd bring the family in and take their blindfolds off while they're still standing behind the bus and, and the house is hidden from view. And the host's faces are always these huge smiles looking at the family because for a month now they've been dying for this family to for this, to have this moment right and what do they always say at that moment come on what do they say move that bus right and the bus moves away and I, i'm a wreck every time that's why i had to stop watching it because <laughs> the family usually someone drops to their knees or they hug and tears and their jaws are open they just can't believe this is their home and the hosts take them by the hand and lead them into every room and the kids see their new room and they see the kitchen and, they, and they're just elated, right? Peter's saying one day Jesus is gonna say, move that bus. And here's what's behind it. First of all, a kingdom. In chapter three, it's gonna say, the old heavens and earth will have passed away, a new heavens and earth in which righteousness dwells. But the most glorious thing about this kingdom, he says, is that it's the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's there. We get to be with him there. So Jesus is behind the bus in this illustration, right? And the bus moves back. Here's a kingdom. And Jesus is the king of this kingdom forever. Now, picturing this scene, can you imagine the smile that's on King Jesus' face as he says those words? Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world i've been waiting a long time come on in because peter wants you to picture it and imagine it because he knows that will stir earnest pursuit i can't wait for that day maybe just earnest pursuit for today tomorrow you got to be thinking about that again and pursue that tomorrow so that's earnest pursuit number one let's be diligent church Diligent, brothers and sisters, it's worth it. Which leads to the second thing. This is why Peter is so earnest. Simply in 12 through 15, uh, and this is an earnestness he wants us to have, to stir one another up by refreshing our gospel memory. He wants us to be earnest to remind one another of the gospel and every gospel-bought promise that God has given us through Jesus. Stir you up, verse 13, is is not a gentle word. It's a strong visual word. It means wake up violently like Jesus when he's sleeping in the boat and the disciples are freaking out because of the storm in Luke 8. And they went to him, same word, and they stirred him up saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he was stirred up. So you imagine the wake up that Jesus just had there wasn't a gentleman. It was like, it was like this, right? And Peter says, I want to stir you up. How? Look at verse 14. Sorry, verse 13. Stir you up by way of reminder. This is how Peter wants to, to, to keep shaking us awake to these eternal realities, is by reminding us of what we already know. That's the crazy thing. Verse 12, these are things you already know and are established in. This is the gospel that you're growing in. But he, Peter says our, our main problem is not um, a revelation problem. We haven't heard enough. It's a recall problem that we have short-term uh, memories, and we need to be reminded of it. So he says as long as I'm still alive, I'm going to keep reminding you, and I'm going to write it down and send it to you so even after I'm gone, you can recall at any time these things. And it starts with the faith that you've been given because of the righteousness of Jesus and all the promises he's now given you through Christ and a new heart that hears his commands differently now, not as burdens, but as invitations to real life. And he takes all these and he says, I wanna remind you and remind you and remind you. And so church, remind one another and remind one another. And one of the ways that we do that besides what we're doing right now, is through the Lord's Supper and baptism in particular. Just a word on that. Next Sunday night, in here, we're going to have baptisms. And then the following Sunday morning, since baptisms are happening in the evening, we want to give good time to that. The following Sunday morning, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in our Sunday services. And I hope you don't think of those things, especially our evening Lord's Supper or evening baptism, as a nice fringe benefit, if I can fit that in. But right here, this is a lifeline to remembering and persevering because in baptism, when you come next week and you see someone go under the water and be brought back up and and the person doing that says, buried with Christ in in death, raised to walk in newness of life, Christian, you say, me too. You're reminded, me too. I was saved for new life and God's promised me promises enough to walk in that new life and I'm reminded and refreshed in it. Jesus knew what he was doing when he gave us these ordinances to remember. So as we close, I want us to turn this sermon into prayer. How do we turn this sermon into prayer? And I couldn't think of a better way than to actually sing the chorus uh, and the song that we sang just before this message. Look at the, the words again and how, oh, that's not it. Let's see here. This is our prayer, and we're gonna sing this here as well. Come on up. Lead us beyond mere formal duty. In other words, God, please keep us from just a notional faith or a joyless obedience or empty religious practice. God, show us your captivating beauty. Help us see what the demons don't see and treasure you and love you. And then, I love this prayer, um, as, uh, as we rehearse redemption story, show us the wonders of your glory. Unveil it here and now as we once again go through things we already know. Unveil this for us here and now. Let's actually sing and pray together.